Oh. All right, we met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. And Morgan, good to have you with us. Uh, and, uh, of course, Candy's back. And uh, Clay's back, so we got the Duvals and others. All right, uh, oh, and I forget to stand up. When he was here last, he was about this big. But that's Isaac, and Tommy used to teach Isaac, Gabriel, and Israel uh, in, in Sunday school. So, thank you. Good to have you with us. Uh, they told me he was six foot tall, and I said, oh, come on. It couldn't be. Not that kid. And uh, But there he is. Or as they say, there he come now. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to think about the prayers that you want to provide to the Lord. And remember those three scriptures I have given you. And they're on the internet. And of course that's Romans 8.26. And Romans 8.27. And Romans 8.28. And all those tell us that when we pray, we sometimes pray amiss. Don't know what to pray for. Pray for the wrong things. But that's all right. You calling out to the Lord. And because we have God the Holy Spirit, and we have, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling us, they take a perfect prayer up to the Lord and present it to Him. I like to think about putting a nice package, tie a ribbon on it and say, here's the perfect prayer. No matter how you prayed, whether you prayed correctly or incorrectly, you just call out the name. Call out my name, and I'll call out yours. And uh, then the Lord will implement a perfect plan. And that's why you can say in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So with that said, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And you think about uh, uh, what you want to pray about and do it. Let us pray. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Now, Ken is not here with us today because Carol is sick and she hasn't one of her migraines and she's passed out a couple of times and uh, uh, needs our prayers. So I'm going to be leading the singing. So I'm going to need all the help that you can provide. And we're going to start off with hymn number 96, which is one of my favorites. It's one that we... I have not sung in a long time because Ken's going by the numbers as he makes progress from the hymn number one going forward. But uh, hymn number 96 is at Calvary. And I always thought that was a good indication of how I was. So you may stand if you choose, and if you don't, that's fine too. Whoops! Somebody dropped their money. All right, now let's, uh, don't forget we tied that, but uh, let's, uh, let's turn to hymn number 96 and we're going to sing the first, third, and fourth verse. You know, the third verse of the Baptist hymnal is the most lonely verse in the world because nobody sings it, but we're going to sing it this morning. So Tommy, if you would. Singing, I appreciate all your help. <coughs> all right, now we go to announcements. I am going to try for a 6.30 prayer meeting on Wednesday and a 7 o'clock Bible study where I hope we study the doctrine of the poor, which will be similar in, 
and uh, a good follow-on to what we're going to have this morning, which is capitalism versus, as I say here, balderdash, or you could put in there malarkey. But uh, either one uh, is appropriate. We'll do that this morning. Then we're going to have the Doctrine of the Poor, I suspect, on Wednesday. So you can come if you want to. Stay away if you don't want to. But we do have, remember, at prayer meeting, we had a one-hour prayer meeting last Wednesday. And I mean we took it apart, that prayer list. Item after item, you too, all your brothers and your mama and your sister? Yes, he's got two. Two sisters, that's right. Okay, so we uh, we keep up with everybody as best we can. And remember, we call out the name and God provides our guests, let's say, the perfect, the very perfect prayer. And He implements the very perfect plan. So, uh, come if you choose. But get you a copy of the prayer list, if you will. And uh, take it home and use it if you're too busy to come on Wednesday night. So, uh, feel free to do that if you choose. But again, 6.30, we're going to have the prayer meeting. It's going to last 30 minutes, and then we're going to have the Bible study. So that'll be on Wednesday. So uh, remember one another. Remember my daughter and son-in-law who are over in Bernie. He's doing a, in a shooting contest. They're shooting pigeons, and they're shooting clay pigeons and real pigeons and, and target practice, and the winner gets a prize, and they have a three-day affair over there. So they came by the house. And brought us some steak and some shrimp and some asparagus and some tomatoes and provided uh, supper for us on, I guess it was Thursday, wasn't it? Thursday night. And then they went on over to Bernie. So remember them, they're going to be traveling. And then he's going to San Antonio for a family reunion with David's family. So David's our webmaster, as you know. And they're members of our church. And we pray for them. So... Remember them and remember uh, what's on the prayer list over there. All right, with, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> with that said, let's proceed on. And this time, let's go to hymn number 95, right across the street, or 98. Which is it, baby? 95. That's right across the street from 96. And uh, that's about the cross also. But down at the cross where my Savior died... So we're going to sing again. Uh, let's do, let's do all four verses. We're going to set a record here. All four verses. So again, stand if you choose and sit if you choose and it's not going to make a bit of difference, but do sing loud.
seated please all right now I want to pause for a moment for an aspect of worship called giving Uh, I would stress again that uh, giving is as much a part of worship as what we just did singing and uh, what we did with prayer and what we're going to do with the teaching of the word is just as important because it is an act of worship So uh, keep that in mind as you hear me explain how we look at giving in this church. Uh, We do not believe in tithing because tithing is part of the Mosaic Law. And we're told to get out from under the Mosaic Law. You're kidding yourself if you think you can keep it anyway. So uh, stay away from that in terms of thinking it's going to help you get right with God. What helps you get right with God is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then you are in perfect fellowship and you can never lose that. Once you believe, you are sealed and uh, you are forever His. And uh, He is going to work with you and work with you. And your, your job is to take in the Word, take in the Word, take in the Word and grow in His grace. Uh, because the Word of God is alive and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and is discerned of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And God has provided a pastor teacher for each and every one of you. You're to seek him out. Obviously, I'm not the pastor teacher for everybody, but I'm the pastor teacher for somebody and a number of people who listen to us on the Internet. And we've got the statistics on the board. Take a look at them if you so choose. We're Get anywhere between 16 and 20,000 hits a month. And so a lot of people listen to us on the internet. Plus we now have a, a podcast where we're putting various things on as, as I have time to do it. And I don't know how many we have on now, but we have about probably 16 on there uh, at the present time. And then all of our lessons are being put on there both on the podcast and then on the internet. So westbankbiblechurch.com, you can go there. And then I have about 700 study books, as I like to call them, on there also. And and then maybe three complete uh, books of the Bible covered, like Revelation, Zechariah, and then all of the Old Testament books in summary fashion. We call that Old Testament Overview. So uh, there's no lack of information for you, be it on the internet or be it on the podcast or being right here. Uh, so it's uh, up to you to exercise your positive volition as you choose. And again, it's your choice, so keep that in mind. Uh, so here we're going to get an uh, idea. Since we don't tithe, we don't, uh, uh, we don't bribe God, we don't... Uh, <clears throat> tell him, uh, I promise to do this if you'll do that for me. Uh, but what we do is we go to the New Testament and see what it has to say about giving. So, uh, remember now, I, I know all about what not to do. I used to give tithing testimonies all the time when I was a Baptist. I'd get up there and I'd say, Malachi 3.10 says, 
you know, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith that the Lord of heaven if I'll not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And Tommy and I started tithing when we first got married a hundred years ago. And we did it. And we tithe. And we tithe. And we tithe. And God always blesses. Because see, God blesses you even though you're, pardon expression, ignorant. And it's because you don't know. Because He loves you. Because once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, He loves you so much. And He'll take care of you. But uh, sometimes we're not ready for doctrine. But I finally got enough doctrine to realize I ought not be tithing. I mean, well, what, that's Mosaic Law stuff, you know. We sh- shouldn't be doing that. But uh, So what do we do here then? Why are we doing it? Why are we giving? Well, because the Bible says to. And there are two books. Again, First uh, Corinthians... Second Corinthians, excuse me, uh, in the eighth chapter, I mean eighth book, in the ninth, eighth chapter in the ninth chapter, in first, again, second, in, in second Corinthians, I'll get it right here in a minute. And uh, you can read all about tithing because those two chapters are virtually all about giving. And they don't mention tithing, but they mention giving. So we're going to give here. And there's a plate here, there's a plate here, and there's one at the back, I know, maybe two. But uh, at the end of the service, you can find it. Uh, if you can make the next step. See, it's a two-step deal. This next step is can you do it, as the Scripture says, hilariously. In other words, can you do it with the right mental attitude? Because if you're not happy doing it, if you're not pleased with your doing it, and you're not doing it, as the Scripture indicates, you know, uh, then don't give. That's important. Or let's say that you want to give and you don't have any money. Maybe God's testing you. Maybe He hasn't blessed you. Well, you can still give because you want to. And that's why we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And you think about giving. And if you want to give, you gave. See, that's the key. It's grace. All that God is free to you to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising His integrity. That's the definition of grace. G-R-A-C-E. God really always causes everything. G-R-A-C-E. An acronym. So with that said, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And that silence, in that silence, you can give because you want to. And God says, thank you. Maybe you don't have something to give. God says, thank you. You wanted to. That's all it takes. So let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together and to worship. We're thankful, Father, that we uh, can give whether we have anything to give or not because of Your grace. So we want You now to guide us and direct us as we want to study to show ourselves approved unto You. 
For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, now let's go to our lesson. It's entitled Capitalism versus Balderdash. I thought it was very appropriate to talk a little bit about our economic system and what the Bible has to say from time to time with reference to uh, uh, giving. We have a lesson plan, and if you have one, it's not going to be what I'm going to follow necessarily because it's an unedited lesson plan. It's got some mistakes in it. We just didn't have time this past week. I had two trees fall down that I had to take care of. I had, of course, my shingles to take care of, and then I had a visit from my daughter and her son-in-law, and so sometimes you just uh, do what you can do. But I do. Uh, I will be putting on a polished, edited lesson plan on the internet and also on the podcast. So uh, you may have to, you know, uh, dance around a little bit, and make a mark or two on your lesson plan, but. Uh, here we go. All right, uh, let's take a look at First John one nine. However, first, sometimes I forget that, and that's not right. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John one nine, uh, and of course, the Bible in First John one eight says, if you say you've not sinned, you lie. And then 1 John 1.10 says, if you say you've not sinned, you make God a liar. So what's the remedy? It's the meat inside the two slices of bread. One eight is the top slice of bread, and one ten is the bottom slice of bread. And in the middle, mid, in middle is the meat. 1 John 1.9. If we confess, that means to simply name. If And I'm talking about silently. We don't want anybody doing any public confession here. But uh, we silent name our sin to God. And then you're filled with the Spirit and you can be taught. Remember, I'm just presenting and God the Holy Spirit uh, is the teacher. So let's just take a minute. You use First John 1, 9 and I'll use it too. And we'll both be spiritual and uh, we'll make hay while the sun shines, if you will. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to come together and to study the Word. Now guide us and direct us, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we have a lot of folks today who are not working because they're getting paid by the government and they have other uh, uh, reasons for uh, uh, for not uh, uh, coming or not studying, but... Uh, are not working. And I thought, well, what does the Bible has to say about that? All right, uh, let's see what we've got here. All right, capitalism is an economic system that is based on private ownership of the means of production and the creation of goods or services for profit based on the needs of a competitive market. All right, first, a little background about what the Bible teaches about economic systems. For maximum prosperity, the principles found in the Mosaic Law, where possible, because we can't implement it in the Mosaic Law, never could, uh, the law provides a perfect framework, of, and 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10 tells us for whom the law was meant. So the law, of course, uh, is, we have, in, again, particularly 1 Timothy 1, 10, which you can see in your lesson plan, uh, tells us for whom the law was meant. So I'm going to read you one eight, one nine, and one ten. Uh, 
All right, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and then here's the catch-all, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And, of course, sound doctrine is what the Bible has to say uh, with reference to uh, um, spiritual matters. So maximum freedom for the individual is God's optimum. In our body of theology, we call freedom our first divine institution, and we sometimes refer to it as volition. The right of private property and protection of property rights is repeatedly established in Scripture. And you'll remember those first those four divine institutions, which is volition or choice. And, of course, then we have uh, marriage, then family, and then nationalism. Uh, these, are prop- these, these things protect us uh, in time as a national entity. And let's take a look at uh, uh, some of those scriptures. First of all, uh, you shall not steal. And that certainly indicates you own something. In other words, I'm listing things for you in the Scripture at this particular point in time that certainly give indication that capitalism is the way to go. Ownership. Because remember, progressivism in its ultimate, uh, uh, communism, socialism, you don't have private property when it's taken to its ultimate. The state owns everything. But you shall not steal. In Exodus 20.17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, these are principles, and it's, I like what Colonel R.B. Theme used to call the Mosaic Law and used to call actually uh, what we call the, uh, the law itself over in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus as the freedom code. You have the freedom to live, so thou shalt not murder. You have uh, the freedom to... For your property, so you shall not uh, have anybody steal your property. Now, notice what it says in twenty-two two: If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. Interesting verse, is it not? All right. Then we have, of course, in point two point two: Free enterprise is God's plan for His client nations. A capitalistic system will produce. Excess and make for maximum resources for charity. So uh, our system, of course, will provide for us uh, maximum uh, capability to acquire wealth and then to, as we're going to see later on, uh, provide charitable gifts to those who are in need because the scripture also speaks to that subject and we will get there. Now let's continue on with... Uh, what the Bible has to say about uh, working. All right, Scripture provides insight into what causes poverty. In the following verses, you will find numerous uses of the English word sluggard or slothful. Now, this is otzel in the Hebrew. That's when it's translated slothful or sluggard. But it means idle. It means habitually lazy lethargic, lean, or indolent. 
Scripture indicates a failure to work results in a failure to provide for one's future. Notice Proverbs 6, 6. We'll read through verse 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you live there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So we have the caution uh, to not be an ot cell, to not be a sluggard. Right. <clears throat> now let's look at Proverbs 10, 4 and 5, continuing that thought. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. All right, in Proverbs 13, 4. Now this is the word of God, folks, so keep that in mind. The sluggard craves and gets nothing but the desires of the diligently are fully satisfied. And Proverbs 19.15, Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. Alright, wickedness or evil, we call in this church reversionism. It's a themeism, actually, that we picked up from Colonel R.V. theme uh, at Houston Bible Church, Bracca Bible Church. But reversionism is the product of a refusal to apply the protocol of God. The protocol of God is the scripture. A general rule, God makes it tough on people negative toward his word. Alright, notice Proverbs 10.3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Or Proverbs 28.20. A faithful man will be richly blessed. But one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. All right, a drunkard or a glutton will experience poverty. Notice Proverbs 23, 20 and 21. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So being industrious is a means of avoiding poverty. Foolish people pursuing impractical fantasies also make for poverty. Poverty. Alright, now let's go to Proverbs 28:19. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the man who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Alright, a slothful man is lazy and as a result often poor again from the Proverbs. Notice Proverbs 19.24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Very interesting. Uh, he may have it, but he's too lazy even to get it and bring it to his mouth. Alright, this would seem to be a good description of many of those who are on welfare rolls today. Alright, the indolent, that is in the Old Testament economy, were often lazy. And as a result, they frequently ended up as slaves. 
We studied this before in our doctrine of slavery. One of the things that could be done and was done often under the Mosaic Law when Israel, of course, was a client nation traveling throughout, they would uh, have someone who rather be a slave because they can't provide for their family. So they would actually go to have the guy put an awl in their ear, an awl to their ear, and uh, they would become a slave to someone at their choice. Uh, so I would uh, recommend sometimes that you uh, uh, go and uh, uh, take a look at the website. And uh, the uh, uh, there you can find uh, a study on the doctrine of slavery. It actually three of them, one of them for each of the dispensations in which uh, you find slavery mentioned. And the Bible has a lot to say about slavery. Alright, Proverbs 12.24 Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Alright, habitually lazy or very often wasteful, says Proverbs 12.27 The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. So there's a great difference between the life of the habitually lazy man and the life of the energetic man. Proverbs fifteen nineteen, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. So the, prof, the slothful person, the ought-sell person, will suffer hunger. Notice Proverbs nineteen fifteen, Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. So the person who seeks a fast profit will find poverty. And the same is true of a, of a miser. Notice Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-two: A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. Alright, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. As we go to the New Testament now, kind of shift gears. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Remember I told you 2 Corinthians 9 and 2 Corinthians 8 talk about giving. And this is one of those scriptures that is found there as it talks about those who sow sparingly. In other words, giving just a little will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously under the subject of giving now will also reap generously. All right, let's go now. No matter how hard we try to eliminate poverty, we saw this last week when we studied the Lord's table. No matter how hard we try to eliminate poverty, if these efforts will prove futile. The poor you will always have with you. All right, notice Matthew twenty six eleven, which we saw last week. The Lord speaking, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples. I found many years ago under my doctrine of poverty, and I extracted it and put it in here, uh, where in July 27th of 1998, the issue of Newsweek magazine, here's what appeared. It was entitled, The Faces of Famine which describes the world and its dilemma of pervasive poverty. I will quote it in part. 
And remember, I'm quoting this just because the Lord himself says, the poor you will always have with you. He said to his disciples, I'll not always be with you, but the poor you will always have with you. No matter what you do, they're going to be poor. There will be poverty. And that out of the mouth of the Son of God. All right, here's what the article said. Here we go again. Skeletal starving Africans are back in the news. This time from Sudan, a communist country at war with itself, and one which has been from time to time almost perpetually at war with itself. If you are moved, and you'd have to be heartless not to be, operators are standing by to take your check. And if you have any doubts that your contributions will really help, the charities will assure you that food will reach these victims quickly and save their, their lives at least until the next famine. Now you can change the channel with the warm feeling that you have done what you can to fight hunger. I too will feel like reaching for my checkbook when I see the photographs. But I know better. After spending nearly 20 years in Africa as an aid worker and journalist, I know that fighting hunger is anything but simple. And I have learned that any donation I might make, in fact, ensure that next year I will see fresh photographs of starving people. Merely a substantiation of what the Lord said, the poor you will always have with you. And, of course, that doesn't mean now that we not... We ought not give, and certainly we do in this church. We give to several treasuries as we have excess, uh, which we do from time to time uh, because of your generosity. Uh, and uh, uh, that's, that's what we should do. But the point is, don't do it with the idea that you're going to eliminate poverty in this world. As the scripture says, and Jesus does not lie the poor you will always have with you. So this does not mean then that we should refuse to perform what God commands with reference to assisting those less fortunate. As we will later see, God provides certain mandates for assisting the poor. Notice Deuteronomy chapter, going back to the Old Testament now in one of the law books, 1511, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. In other words, be generous. Speaking to Israel, certainly as they lived in the land in the days, of course, of the writing of the Old Testament, which was 1450 B.C., 1450 years before our Lord and Savior was upon the face of the earth. So Jesus' prediction of pervasive and everlasting poverty was part of a rebuke to the world's greatest liberal. And you'll remember who that is. We studied that last week. And that is, of course, Judas Iscariot. Notice John 12, 4, 5, and 6. But one of his disciples, who was later to betray him, objected. Now, what did he object to? Well, one of the sisters of Lazarus had brought, Mary had brought uh, some very expensive uh, perfume and uh, she wanted to put it on the Lord and Savior, and she did. And uh, the perfume, of course, was actually, as Jesus said, was uh, for his burial because he knew what was coming. The cross 
the resurrection, and of course the ascension. So, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor, he said. It was worth a year's wages. And then the scripture explains, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, the keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. Alright, so Judas, like many do-gooders, loved the masses, but hated the individual. So Judas, like so many, uh, well, do-gooders and modern progressives for that matter, think they know better and should, you know, they know better what should be done with your money. Alright, it is the Lord who makes the poor and the rich. Therefore, it is he who can eradicate poverty as well as bestow affluence. Notice First Samuel 2, 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Now notice Proverbs 20, excuse me, 75 verse 7. The next time you get a reward, the next time you get a promotion, remember who gave it to you. All right, and you can also put in verse 8 and it'll even make it clearer. But it is God who judges. He brings down one and he exalts another. And that includes in our political arena. It is God who makes those decisions, whether you like it or not or whether I like it or not. He sets up one and he tears down another. All right, charity for the true destitute is a bona fide function for establishment. Notice Proverbs 29, 14. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. And notice Exodus 23, 11. But during the seventh year, this is a seven-year Sabbath, every seventh year, let the, the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it. And the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. So you can see a very interesting way of explaining how giving was done to the poor at that particular point in time. The writing of the book of Exodus, again, 1450 or so years before the Lord Jesus came to the earth, uh, to Israel, he said every seventh year, it's the Sabbath, let the land rest. And the poor could come and do some planting and the poor could come and do some harvesting because you didn't harvest and you didn't plow over, if you will, your land. Now every third year, a tithe designed for the Levite priest and the poor of the land were paid to the treasury. Notice Deuteronomy again, beginning in, well, verse 14, beginning in verse 28 uh, and then reading verse 29. It says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. In other words, a tenth of it. So that the Levites, those are the priests, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. They didn't get any land, you remember. The third son of Jacob was Levi. And he didn't get any land, but all the other boys got the land. And then, of course, the last two, got we got extra. They got extra to make sure that all seven... Uh, received 
and uh, the seven sons of Jacob, of course. And the Levi, Levi was the third. So at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the aliens. Now the aliens means the Gentiles who came along and wanted to be part of the Jewish traveling uh, group uh, who were going about and setting up their cities and, and uh, uh, they were called aliens in the King James Version and it simply means Gentiles who chose to be Jews and joined up with the Jews uh, in their travels. And also, not only the Gentiles, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, you do what you're told. You do the giving, just as the Scripture says, you know, every third year, every seventh year. And uh, uh, you will be blessed for following the Scripture. And that's true today in terms of you uh, follow the Scripture with reference to giving. And uh, you will indeed uh, be blessed. That doesn't mean you are to do it in order to bribe God, but rather you are to do it because the Scripture tells you to do it. And that's why we teach what we teach during our little pause to recognize giving and act of worship. Alright, there is no authorization in Scripture for assisting the poor in other lands. Interesting, isn't it? Internationalism is always evil. Remember the four divine institutions. Volition. Again, uh, marriage, family, and nationalism. Nationalism is very important. And internationalism is very evil. In fact, the Antichrist will be the first great internationalist. Uh, and it is, uh, and now there's one exception that we're going to cover. We are to evangelize the entire world. However, each national entity is responsible for what occurs within its national boundaries. And I see from time to time such organizations uh, uh, violate this principle. They'll send people into a nation where the nation lead, the national leaders uh, don't want any. Uh, it's true, for example, let's just take one that we know about. Israel. Israel does not permit any evangelism within its borders. Uh, we sometimes are asked to send money here and money there, but if you send anything to Israel, it's not going to get the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, witnessed about. They won't let any evangelist witness in Israel. Uh, and I thought when I first heard that, that's awful weird because we were sending money there. And I called uh, over there and asked the question. And they said, well, actually, it's not illegal to do that in Israel, but it's bad manners. And then I read in, on the Internet where they have a, 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 a actually a piece of legislation that is in the hopper, meaning it's there and can be passed if they want it passed. And if they see evangelism occurring, they'll pass it and make it illegal to witness for the Lord Jesus in Israel. So the people that are God's people are in our land right now and they are getting witness to, uh, which is a wonderful thing as we see on television and we see in the radio and we see on news uh, people being uh, told about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross 
And that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And over and over that message goes out. And Jews in this land are getting that opportunity to hear that. And many will believe and some won't believe. Uh, We have uh, folks uh, who, uh, like Vashti's husband, uh, who is a Jew, but he's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was blessed to live in this country and hear the word of God taught and hear the word of God, of course, uh, uh, made clear to him so that he can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So anyway, I'll go over that point again since I intervened for a moment. We are to evangelize the entire world. That's our job. However, each national entity is responsible for what occurs within its national boundaries. All right, so nationalism is one of the divine institutions. Remember, I've given them to you twice now, the four divine institutions. Volition or choice, uh, the, the, the marriage and then family, and then nationalism. I remember it was Satan who weakens the nations. Very interesting. We find Isaiah describing Satan over in the 14th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And guess one of the first things that he does, found in verse 12, is it speaks about old uh, devil and when he fell. And Tommy always tells me, isn't that strange that he could be with God in heaven and he could see the angels worshiping him and and all the wonderful things, and yet he chose not to follow God, but instead to fall and come to planet Earth, where he lives today and is very active in all that he does. So notice verse 12. Book of Isaiah, written roughly in 600 or so B.C. How have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, in the King James Version, O morning star in the NIV, son of the dawn, You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. Or the KJV says you who weakened the nations. So again, Satan wants to have very little nationalism and a lot of internationalism. Alright, there is a special blessing, by the way, for those who help the poor. Here we go. You want to be blessed? Here we go. Notice Proverbs 22.9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Notice Psalm 41 verses 1. Uh, excuse me. 1 and then, of course, verse 2. Blessed is he who has regard uh, for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desires of his foes. So there's not only an establishment responsibility to assist the destitute, but individual citizens are also to assist those in need. There is a special discipline for those who ignore the needs of the poor. All right, Proverbs 12, 13. If a man... Uh, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and must be answered. Alright? The poor are fortunate in one sense for they avoid superficial friendships which come from having wealth. Proverbs 19.4 Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. So the poor are often a target for hypocrisy. The poor 
should, that is in the local church, have the same spiritual privileges as the wealthy. And James addresses himself to this problem. Apparently it was prevalent uh, during the uh, uh, during James's time as head of the Judeo-Christian church in Jerusalem. And I'm going to read you James 2.1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Alright, the Lord taught His disciples the importance, for example, of paying taxes. Now then, taxes, April the 15th has gone by. In fact, I think it was extended again this year, but uh, nonetheless, uh, some, of them have to, some of us have to pay uh, quarterly estimated taxes. Alright, we are to render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's, and we are to never think about revolution or disobeying authority. You don't see much of that today, do you? We see so much uh, disobedience to authority. And uh, it was Thomas Jefferson uh, was flat wrong when he said, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said. Thomas Jefferson said, Citizens need to be armed in order to remove those who refuse to leave office. And of course my comment is, vote them out. Uh, don't carry them out. Alright, so much then. You'll find that in Matthew twenty-two seventeen, reading through verse 22. Uh, it, uh, where you have the story about paying tribute unto Caesar. Notice, uh, Tell us therefore, said the disciples, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? In other words, pay taxes. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt Ye, me, ye, hypocrites, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And he held it up. And they said unto him, Oh, that picture, that's Caesar. Then saith unto him, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. All right, we're going to stop right there because I see the time on the wall says it's about time to talk and I stop talking, excuse me. It's about time to to think about an invitation. We like to do that, as you know, at the end of our service. We like to tell how you, quote, get saved, close quote. People say, well, saved from what? Well, saved from eternal life in the lake of fire. And uh, that's, one way to look at it, but the best way to look at it is it's such a positive thing. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, you are a member of God's forever family. And uh, one day you're going to spend eternity with Him. Uh, you'll never see the lake of fire. And when you get there, you're going to find He's up there right now making mansions for you. And I know that's got to be something. A mansion made by the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ for believers and uh, there are those up there who are waiting for us and 
And uh, it's a wonderful thing to think about uh, what it's going to be like. We don't have any description, by the way, in the Scripture about heaven. And that's because it's just too good. It's just too good. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to think about. And all those descriptions you have read in the past and thought they were talking about heaven is talking about the New Jerusalem. And we've been over the doctrine of New Jerusalem. And you can find it on your internet. You can go and read all about it and, and understand it. So what am I talking about here? Why am I, you know, why am I saying we need an invitation? Because I want every member out there listening to us on the internet and here for that matter to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And uh, there are again thousands who are listening to us. So uh, let's bow our heads and Close your eyes if you will, and you pray the Word of God would have full effect. Uh, and uh, I would uh, uh, recommend that uh, if you are out there and you're without Christ and without hope and without eternal life, that you tell God the Father, right now, I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. You do not have to jump through any psychological hoops. You don't have to promise God you're not going to do it anymore. You don't have to walk an aisle. Uh, but you just simply have to believe. In other words, Christ came unto His own, Israel, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. So uh, once more, I recommend you follow the Scriptures. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon Him. So again, it's all by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'll pause for just a few moments and give opportunity to anyone who is without Christ to believe and be saved. And then I will provide our benediction. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together and to worship. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.